Hey there, Nick Holmes here with another episode of Love the Game, Live the Dream, brought to you by World Baseball Experience, the podcast show that proves you do not have to be a Hall of Famer, a first-round draft choice, or even a high school standout for that matter, in order to make a living in the sport of baseball. Hey gang, welcome back here to another episode of Love the Game, Live the Dream. We are on episode six, and as always, I am your host, Nick Holmes, coming to you from our new office slash studio in Nanaimo, British Columbia. For those of you that don't know where that is, that's located. we're located on the southeast coast of beautiful Vancouver Island. Um, I couldn't be more excited to get back into the swing of things here after spending another fantastic summer in uh, Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. Uh, that's where we kicked off uh, season one of this podcast, Love the Game, Live the Dream. And it took me a couple, three, four weeks to uh, get the family together and packed up and move across the country. Uh, but I'm back and I'm ready to introduce you to my next guest on the show. I hope you guys are excited to, uh, to meet him. A lot of you out there may already know who this guy is if you've ever used an arm care training product called J-Bands. Uh, or maybe you heard him speak on the subject of long toss or arm care prevention or any of the numerous uh, mental training topics that, that he covers. He is uh, one of the top mental training experts in the sports industry today, and he's the founder of Jager Sports. Alan Jager is on the show today. Now, if you have ever had the pleasure of listening to him speak at a conference or, or maybe one of his clinics, then you know uh, it's a treat. And if you're hearing him for the first time, uh, get ready to be hypnotized by his uh, soothing voice and laid-back nature. I like to kid with him a little bit about that. I think he should have gone into radio. Um, but anyway, we are going to talk about how Alan did get started in his uh, incredible successful baseball career that uh, began after his playing career ended. We're going to find out a little bit more about what makes him tick. Uh, how he was able to overcome some of the struggles along the way. And, you know, like I said, just find out about how he got to where he is after spending close to 30 years now uh, doing what he does best. So sit back, relax, and without further ado, here is my interview with Alan Jager. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, Alan Jager. How you doing, Alan? I am great, Nick. How you doing, man? I am doing fantastic, my friend. I am so happy to have you on the show today and we were talking a little bit off air before we we got on here and and just uh you know like i said excited to, to track you down you're a busy busy guy and i know you got a lot going on in your world so i appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to sit down with me and talk a little bit about uh loving the game and living the dream <laughs> well <laughs> it's an honor to be on buddy so i'm i'm looking forward to uh talking baseball and life and uh Appreciate you having me on. You got it, man. You got it. So I want to give the listeners a little, you know, a little background, as I always do. I, li I like to start uh, the story from the beginning. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about uh, where you are from, where you grew up, and maybe a little bit about your family? And uh, you know, we can finish up with how how you got into baseball as a youngster. Yeah. Well, I grew up uh, probably not too far away from where we met, uh, San Fernando Valley. Mm -hmm. uh, I grew up in Northridge. Mm -hmm. And I went to Granada Hills High School. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I played at the Little League, I believe, your initial, well, at least I think that's where we met, or at least that's where your, I know your facility was out at, at Van Nuys Sherman Oaks Little League, right? That's right. That's correct. So you went, you played so at I don't know if I, that Little League? Sorry? Did you play at that Little League? I don't know if I ever told you that. I that was my first yeah. experience in baseball. Um, I did not know that. I played in Little League there. In fact, Little League. Back in the day, it probably still does. Started at eight. My first year of baseball, t-ball, ironically, mm -hmm. was on the other side of where the fields were. So on the side where Burbank is, people that are listening to this may have no idea what we're talking about. But <laughs> over on the, the other side, on Burbank, by the tennis courts where the four softball diamonds are, oh, my first okay. tryout. I joke about this all, you know, with my partner, mm -hmm. um, my business partner, that my first tryout in baseball as a six-year-old. It's so funny because one of the fields, you know, I've gravitated, we've gravitated all into is, is throwing. And uh, <laughs> our tryout was they literally gave us a baseball, and there was like uh, they had some kind of a um, setup where they marked it off like a football field almost based on footage. 
mm-hmm. and you threw the ball, and that is how they gauged Who what, could play. you know how to divide up the teams. Oh, and God. and I had a you know fortunately I had a strong arm, and um, you know my dad had a strong arm, and mm-hmm. um, so I you know I threw the ball I think pretty far. I, I think I faintly remember this is scary. This is going back forty six years ago or forty seven years ago, <laughs> but I. I think I got. Remember, there was a reaction by one or two of the coaches when I threw it. So I think I remember that being a good thing. But so, <laughs> anyway, I I I did grow up in actually early on in Van Nuys. We moved to Northridge at a young age. Went to Granada Hills High School, and then kind of my baseball career went from Granada uh, to Pierce Junior College for two years, and then my final destination was at Cal State Northridge. Um, mm-hmm. That's where I met my current business partner, Jim Vatcher, which is kind of cool because I was a walk-on. J.C. Transfer, he was one of the captains and uh, an All-American. And he and I, and I was a pitcher, he was a position player, but we gravitated toward each other because we both wanted a long toss. Ah. And we were we would be on the field. This is a classic mess, mm-hmm. stuff I don't really talk about much. Mm-hmm. But the head coach at Northridge was Terry Craven. And he waited, and all the guys would be finished throwing, and they would wait for us. He used to ring a bell like when it was time to come in, but he wouldn't ring the bell at some point because Jim, who was our center fielder and had an absolute cannon, who would win games on defense, you know, you, you got the feeling that you know Coach Craven did not want to interrupt Jim's preparation. And I luckily was as a as a walk on. <laughs> was part of Jim's being a, his throwing partner. So for me, I got the benefit of making sure I never got, you know, restricted time-wise or distance-wise. So wow. he and I, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, even though I probably was throwing pins and this and that, I feel like he and I went up out to 300-plus feet every single day. Wow. Um, and, I mean, it was, well, for us it was a contest. It was we'd throw the ball as far as we could, and then we'd make our way back in and get on top of the ball and, and you know, what we call the pull-down phase. And mm-hmm. then we would just play burnout at, you know, as close as we could without, <laughs> you know, killing each other. Yeah. And um, and I think that's, in a weird kind of way, that was a huge um, stepping stone toward, you know, one of my true passions, which is long toss. And it was funny because I lived it. I mean, one thing about teaching, as you know, mm-hmm. It really means a lot when you've experienced something and you're teaching from, I mean, I'm talking about a deep, intimate experience. And and so I had that. So anyway, summarizing this, um, mm-hmm. my family, you know, I have a uh, an older brother and a middle sister. I'm the baby, as they like to say. Okay. And um, we all grew up playing sports. Um, my brother played Baseball, eventually played tennis in high school. My sister played tennis in high school. She was a great softball player. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother was a great athlete. Um, uh, he didn't really pursue much in high school. You know, he, he got into other things, but, uh, you know, school, what have you. But so, no, I grew up around a, a really, you know, my dad would take us to the park when we were younger, and we would just, the three of us, we'd rotate. He'd throw BP to us. We'd rotate hitting. We were always on the field. Mm-hmm. My mom played tennis three days a week. Um, so it was, yeah. So that Sports gives family. you a little, yeah, little insight into the family to to, to finish the opening yeah. question. So you guys, uh, so it was it was it was like your your bonding time, your family time was was playing sports together a lot. Sounds like it was. Yeah, yeah it really was. Great. We that's all great. played sports, yeah. all five of us. So and yeah, I, I saw a picture you posted not too long ago on Facebook. Uh, you were playing some tennis with your sister just recently. Is that something you guys get together and do a lot, or is that a rare occasion? We do. We um, we don't play a ton anymore. Um, we grew up. Um, my sister and I, and my brother also, to a degree, we would play doubles with my dad and one of his best friends every Saturday morning. By the mm-hmm. way, we grew up playing every Sunday morning. My dad would wake us up. <laughs> uh, we did not want to probably be up at 9 a.m. He woke us up, and my dad, my brother, my sister, and I, we played two-on-two t- uh, touch football on the street. I kid <laughs> you not. That's awesome. Um, but so we grew up playing a lot of tennis together. Um, and her and I, you know, just because I'm in Santa Monica, she's in the Valley, uh, and my brother, to some degree, we play a little bit too. Well, it just sort of happens whenever it might be once every couple months, but, um, uh, but it's always a treat, you know, playing with her because she's just, she's just a, 
She's a really good athlete, and she can really hit it. And does she beat you? Um, no comment. <laughs> no comment. We don't. We don't play. We don't yeah. play for score. Right on. Okay. I'll, leave, I'll just leave it at this. Yeah. We both. No, no. We both have a great hit with each other, and that's we don't. We don't. We don't play points out. Yeah. We just hit. You get good exercise. For, yeah. Yeah. I so, got you. No. Right on. <laughs> does she beat? <laughs> I can't win with that comment, right? <laughs> no, if she, you if can't. I say she, if I say she beats me, that. Yeah. And if I say I beat, no, I just leave it neutral. Like, no, we, we have, a, we have a very competitive hit, and she likes when I come to the net, and she'll hit it as hard as she can at me, um, which I enjoy because I played third base in high school, mm-hmm. uh, and she can really hit it. So it's like a, it's kind of fun. She's liberated. She she can yeah. hit it as hard as she wants. Right on. Right. I love the fact that this this baseball conversation has gotten heavily into tennis. <laughs> That's right. Never know where it's going to go. So, uh, okay. Well, look, I'll bring it back to baseball. Being that you were a third baseman and uh, you know played some college ball and all that was, uh, I'm guessing uh, it was. You know, you were looking to play pro ball at some point, or did you not want to play pro ball? You just were looking to have a good college experience, and you know, what did you study in school, and what were your interests? Um, you know, at that point, or or was it just all you know? I gotta I gotta get drafted, and I want to be a big leaguer, or where what was your thought process during that time of your life? Well, it's a great question, Nick, because growing up, I've actually told this to people before. I don't think there were many people on earth that truly wanted to be a quote-unquote major league player and, and play at the major league level for the rest of my life when I was 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, mm-hmm. so on. Um, so that was always in my blood. Mm-hmm. And um, and the, the interesting thing is, is that when I was at Cal State Northridge, where I eventually, once I got into college, I basically became a pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um no, it was still a driving force for me to get signed and have a chance. And sure. in my junior year at Cal State Northridge, I went through a very, very difficult time, which is interesting because on one hand, I feel like it was sort of the end of my career um, because it was something that I really didn't know what was going on or how to deal with, and it was it was basically all mental. Mm-hmm. And... The flip side to that is that that was sort of like my bridge into the mental game and my bridge into meditation and my bridge into this whole field mm-hmm. of mental training. So my junior year, I didn't even play my senior year, my junior year was sort of an interesting dynamic where on the one hand, yes, my dream was, in fact, I I felt really confident that I had a chance to move on because in the fall I pitched so well that um, our head coach actually got me a contract to play for the Wichita Broncos in the Jayhawk League which back then the Cape is probably considered the the best league but back then the the Jayhawk League was along with Alaska they were all three kind of Mm -hmm. you know really high high level leagues and and that gave me you know kind of boosted my confidence like wow like they're you know this is how my coaches evaluating me so for me going back to your question it there was that really kind of feeling like you know I don't I don't throw 95 but you know who knows I mean I'm I'm kind of I went from high school to junior college and then junior college to a four-year school and then from four-year school I'm going to this really high level summer league so it, it felt like really good things were happening but when my career ended, because of the the mental stuff I was going through at the time, it was devastating because that was my dream. Mm-hmm. But man, when I look back on my life, and it probably took me a few years after that to look back and realize, you know, that's just that was my path, and it was. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've used that experience with other people that have had career-ending injuries or other things that have taken them out of the game, and it's pretty cool because those people that also have a chance to understand that man, this is how it's supposed to be. And the way I look at it is that it, that quote-unquote traumatic incident that was devastating was the key mm-hmm. to me finding meditation and Zen and mm-hmm. more of my kind of spiritual path and my, you know, things that 
means so much to me. And I think because of the degree of how difficult my situation was, I had to dig really, really deep, and I had to do a lot of research, and I had to do a lot of meditation. And that's all. that all led to the, my, the book I wrote back in the early 90s, which was sort of the the transformation and this transition that I had to go through from being in a really difficult place, mm-hmm. really not understanding, not really having any tools, and then having to work through it. And because of that experience, really, uh, and then the three years it took me to write the book, you know, along with the help of my mom, it was, you know, so I guess when I deal with the mental game, like the long toss analogy earlier, it's really close to home. You know, because I had to live, you know, if someone just says, hey, I'm a little distracted or I'm a little stressed or I'm thinking too much, for me, even though it's probably heavy to them, it still feels sort of superficial. I don't mean superficial like it's not it's not affecting them, but I mean it seems like sort of a basic thing that they're dealing with compared to the depths of what I had to right. deal with. And so I feel like it, it helps me a lot to address things quickly with people and cut to the chase and talk about, mm-hmm. you know, where that thought process is coming from. I don't mean it, I, superficial is not the right word. I guess I just meant um, yeah. it's more topical. Okay. Uh, it could get deeper, you know, over time. But I think it's like anything in life when you've dealt with a lot of depths mm-hmm. um, and then you deal with situations that might be a little bit more simplistic compared to that. You know, coming from that place of depth, it just helps a ton. Sure. Are we talking about, just so I'm clear, uh, the book uh, Getting Focused and Staying Focused? Yep. Okay. So I wasn't sure if maybe you wrote another one previous to that that I, that I missed. Um, and I wanted to throw that title out there, too, in case any of the listeners wanted to check that out. Uh, Getting Focused and Staying Focused by Alan Jager. I'm sure you can, uh, what do you get that on, uh, Audible or I'll Amazon or something like that? Get it on our on well, your website. The easiest way yeah. is our website. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. And uh, okay, great, man. So uh, let's see. So uh, after playing, you're, you know, we don't have to get all too deep into the reason why you were going through some some stuff mentally and and all that. But um, at that time, um, when you realize, okay, I'm not gonna, you know, go on and play professional baseball. Um, you're, I'm guessing 21, 22, right around there, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. what are you thinking? Are what did you study in school by just out of curiosity? Were you, what was your major? Well, I was, now that I think about it, I was actually probably 22, almost going on 23 because okay. I bounced around a little bit. Uh-huh. And I, I was, you know, my dad has sort of a business background. My brother went that route. My sister went she became an attorney. So it was sort of like, I just thought it was, I probably should be studying business or accounting. I think my major was technically econ. And I, and as soon as I was going through this uh, difficult period of time, I switched over to psychology because, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I knew at that point that I wanted to try to start figuring out what's going on. Right. And and so, yeah, so I started studying psychology and that was sort of the impetus to, Mm -hmm. you know, the next chapter. And so how long ago, or excuse me, how long after that did it take you to um, get into what what is now Jager Sports and, you know, uh, arm care and training? Was that, was it, you know, concrete in your head? Like, I, I you know, if I can't play, then I want to help players? Or did you do some other jobs? Did you start another career doing something outside of baseball and then come back to it? How, how Walk us through how you landed, uh, you know, the idea and the concept of, of becoming a you know mental strength coach and along with the physical uh, training part? Well, by the time I started going through this whole process and essentially knew that my baseball career was ending, mm-hmm. um, I graduated the next year, like I'm going to say 1988. And for the next two years, I didn't know what I was going to do. I thought deep down I might be a high school coach. So I was starting to think about getting my – What's the teacher's education? Uh, PhD? The, um, or no? No, no. It's like a master's, but you get a, a teacher credential. Oh, okay. Yeah, so teaching credential. Yeah. I was going to go, it's like a two-year program, and there's some accelerated programs that are not as long. So I thought, you know, I'll do a two-year program, mm-hmm. maybe become a high school teacher and a baseball coach. Okay. And so that was like, 
I was playing with that idea. I was working at TJ Fridays at the time, I think, okay. around that time. And what happened is in 19, well, not quite yet yet, but around 1990, so about two years went by. And one of the things that really pushed me, two things happened. One is to do the teacher credential, I had to do this whole extra year and a half because psychology, so many of the classes I took were not going to help me out in my credential program. Uh So now I was looking at about a three and a half year program. And Uh so in my mind, that was just overwhelming. I probably could have gone, there was Cal Lutheran had a shorter uh, window kind of deal. And so what I decided to do, honestly, I was was just working at Fridays. Um, It was probably around 1990. And I was still playing Sunday League baseball. And one of my teammates was coaching at Mission Junior College. Mm -hmm. And I had played with him for a number of years. We, We were tight and he said hey do you have any interest in being a pitching coach hmm. and i said you know i'm working at fridays i mean sounds pretty good to me <laughs> yeah right, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay so that was that was a huge I, you know i haven't thought about this in a while but that was actually a huge um moment in my life because yeah. i didn't realize it at the time but that brought me back into baseball because honestly i didn't know what i was going to do so around, so I, I ended up at Mission Junior College. I was there for three years as a pitching coach, and it was. And I think what you know, what really, you know, what, there is one little small piece I have to add. And I think from '88 when I graduated, and I was trying to discover and research what was happening with me, I do feel like I fell more heavily into this meditation Zen kind of world. And I think around 1990, even maybe before I went to Mission, I think I started writing. You know what, that's not true. I started writing after because I remember being at Mission Junior College and I remember having laying the pictures down probably every day and, and taking them through a meditation mm. and probably because of the feedback I was getting and what I was seeing and maybe because of my own meditation practice getting deeper, I started writing around wow. 1990. And okay. that is what ended up becoming the book. And I think that around 93, 94, as the book was getting finished, at that point I had another aha moment like, okay, so I've written this book on the mental game. This is what I want to do. So I, I left coach, I left the field, mm-hmm. opened up my own office, which was basically my parents' office at night. Okay. You know, my dad's office at night. Uh-huh. And, and I started just doing private one-to-one mental training work. Mm-hmm. And on the side, I, I was doing private pitching lessons. Okay. And that's how you and were that, that's honestly, how you were paying your bills, right? Or were you still were you still having yeah. to, to work at t- at uh, Fridays or were you just just doing that? No, I think that at that point between the lessons and the lessons and my private consulting, I was that was it. That you was were doing you know, it. I was yeah. probably barely survive I was probably barely surviving. I probably was I might have still been even using my parents' credit card. Yeah. But I was barely surviving. But, look, I was making a go of it. Sure. I was starting to get clients. I was starting to make some money. And yeah. um, most of all, I was having the gratification of what you said in the opening of the show, you know, of um, being in the baseball world and, and making a difference. And, you know, I did feel at a very young age, you know, because of what I went through, mm-hmm. I really felt like I had a lot to give because I went through so much and yeah. I had to do so much work and research and, and self work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I really did to, to to get to that point and I felt like, wow, do I feel like I have a lot to give. Yeah. And It's a great and, feeling, and, isn't and it? I've, it's a great feeling and mm-hmm. I've told this to a number of people that, you know, the people that are aware of the physical stuff, the J-bands, the long toss, the pitching, so, you know, mm-hmm. I tell people that, I was just on the conversation the other day with a mental skills, a young up-and-coming mental skills coach and I said, you know, I started in the mental game, you know, I, you know, even though I was a pitching coach at a junior college, my initial push into the baseball environment was to be a mental training consultant. So, he's, you know, a sports psychologist, if you will, even though I wasn't sure. technically a sports psychologist. And so the throwing and the long toss and all that stuff was there. Mm-hmm. But to me, that was more, quote, unquote, normal i figured everybody did it and you know of course to my surprise everybody didn't but mm-hmm. i just thought because that's how i got healthy and strong my partner jim vatcher that's how he and i got were 
got were very healthy and strong from long tossing every day. I just thought it was normal. Um, sure. So that was that was sort of the collision of both worlds. You yeah. know, right right then around 1994 when the book was finished, and I left the junior college, and I opened up my own business, and that was the beginning. Nice. And you've been doing it ever since. I've been doing it technically since 1990, so it's technically 27 years. Wow. I had no idea. I knew it had been a long time, and I know we didn't meet until early 2000s, um, and I knew you'd, you know, obviously when we met, you were doing that, and uh, doing their training and, and, and all that. So I wasn't sure. And I was trying to find, I think I, I may have found a date on, you know, doing my research here on you back to about 91 or 92, um, that you'd started that. That's, that's a long time, man. That's great. I mean, just thinking of all the, all the guys you've met, you know, all the players that you've helped out and all the, you know, coaches that have learned from you and, you know, the knowledge that you've passed on. That's, that's got to feel uh, pretty rewarding for you and, and uh, help you sleep at night, I hope. <laughs> so It does. It, yeah. It's very rewarding because I think at the end of the day, as you know, you know, coaches get into coaching to coach, mm-hmm. not to make money. Now, it doesn't mean we don't want to sure. have a good living, and it doesn't mean if we couldn't make a really, really good living financially, it's not that we would want to, but, you know, the coaching – uh, is the gratif- is the key gratification, yeah. and as you know, seeing kids grow up and, and evolve and, and and really maybe optimize their path, yeah, um, because of some stuff. And, and like you said too, coaches. Now, I mean, I I was out at the area codes the other day, and for me, I go out there and it's a big party because I get to see all these coaches that I've gotten to know over the years and some of these coaches have just become such good friends and mm-hmm. it's just and like uh, Robert Woodard for instance from North Carolina you know went to dinner with uh, also with Matt Hobbs from Wake Forest and Robert was in Chatham as a pitcher where I first coached in 1992 and I met him uh, just out there doing a little consulting in like 1998 or something I can't remember mm-hmm. um as a pitcher, and now he's the pitching coach at North Carolina, and it's like that's unbelievable. You know, it's <laughs> stuff like that yeah. that happens all the time, and uh, and it, it is a neat thing because you do feel like um, you get to watch these kids grow up and become coaches, and then you get to see the coaches that you've met implement your stuff and have um, you know great success, hopefully, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's it's a very Yes, it's a very rewarding feeling. Absolutely. So when you, in the early stages of, of Jager Sports there, you're, you're doing the consulting, you're doing the training with the pitchers. When did the actual, uh, the physical product, the, you know, the bands, and I know you, um, you know, modified the, uh, I guess, you know, the, what am I trying to say? The, the medical tubing is what it is, more or less, right? And you, but you made some, some some uh, modifications to what guys were just using. Can you explain a little bit how how you came up with that idea? You know, like to add add the wristbands to it, or you know, to make it to where it's it was more functional and actually uh, gave better results than you know guys coming off of arm surgery who were handed a, a a strip of medical tubing from the doctor or the nurse or whatever and says here you know go do these exercises. What what was it that you know, um, that separated you from that, you know, that kind of made you think, Hey, I think we should be doing it this way. You know, this, this seems like it would work better. Well, it's twofold. Number one, a hundred percent Perry husband, Perry husband. Um, he, it's hysterical cause he is a hitting guy. Okay. And he, I don't know if you know Perry husband, but he's, um, I do not. No. he's a well-known hitting guy who and he came up with this uh, program called effective velocity. Um, okay. that's, really cool and he's into a lot of stuff so if anybody's listening just google perry husband and uh he he's just a he's out of the antelope valley um great great hitting coach but he's just he knows a lot about a lot of things okay. and he was delving into this band world i don't really know like i he initially i know this he had a band that went around both your ankles to help you pre- prevent you from overstriding mm-hmm. and i I'll have to ask him a story one day, but it's almost maybe because of that, he knew that there was a benefit to bands that 
maybe at the time, you know, rehab was starting to become more in vogue and band work was was a little bit, maybe a little more well-known for mm-hmm. arm care. But I got to tell you, when I first met him, I didn't know what to think of it because I had never known much about it or heard much about it. But mm-hmm. I think what happened, to be honest with you, is I, I either must have tried it or tried it on a few of my students. And uh, thank God, um, I, you know, I, I made the connection or was sold on it enough because... Um, those those bands are magical, and so yeah. Perry is really the you know he's he was the catalyst, and really what he had made is very almost identical to what is we have today. The only changes we've made is we've made the, the wrist cuffs maybe a little more padding, and we've, we have our um, our logo on there mm-hmm. and, uh, and and a warning sign. But mm-hmm. other than that, um, the the product itself is pretty much the same, mm-hmm. and um, but I think to to answer your question, Nick, what we did, which I think is really huge, is we really helped educate, and this all happened organically. This was nothing. I got the bands. And I just wanted the kids that I trained, did the lessons with, to have access to the bands. Mm-hmm. In fact, whatever Perry charged me, I'm pretty sure I charged the kids. Yeah, and um, so it wasn't a money maker. It was just another great tool for the kids. And but the point of the story is, is that I feel like what we really did is we we have we've made it. We've brought the awareness up that no, no, you don't do bands just because you had surgery and you're doing your rehab. Right. If doing bands after trauma and surgery gets your arm back to where a lot of people say it's the best their arms ever felt well it's because you've done a lot of therapy and a lot of work (laughs) um so it makes sense so our whole philosophy was really simple and it's a term i got from a woman named tina schwager that was in our very first video in 2000 and she used the word prehab and that was a bingo because for me it's exactly what it is it's it's the same work you do in rehab to get so healthy, strong, durable, balanced, you know, all that good stuff. It's like, why wouldn't you do the same exercises before you throw? Sure. So to answer, you know, long story short, the, the, the answer to the question was twofold. One was Perry was the introduction to this, but I think what we did and it happened organically is we just, we started bringing awareness to people like on the field, not in the rehab clinic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do this on the field before you touch a ball, right before you throw, not an hour before, which it's okay if you do it then. But the idea is that before you throw, there was this precursor that happened immediately before you throw. And I think that that, honestly, is something over the last 20-something years that we've you know, really helped to promote and get out there. I agree. I agree, man. It's And it's certainly... You know, something that I jumped onto and, and bought into the minute that I tried it for myself. And that's the, I think the point you're trying to make too, is that it wasn't about let's let's wait until you get hurt and then do it. Um, why wouldn't you do it ahead of time? And I, you're going to laugh, man, but I use, I use the J-Bands before I even go to the gym sometimes. I'll just, totally. uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go. I mean, if I'm out at the field and I'm about to go to the gym, I'll pull, pull those out and, and do the exercises and get myself ready to, to go exercise. You know, I'm not even going to throw a baseball. I just want to feel stretched out, you know, or, or if I go to the field early in the morning after, you know, I'm not a great night of sleep and, and, uh, you know, I get out to the field and the kids are like, what are you doing over there, coach? And I'm, I'm on the J bands. I'm getting, I'm getting ready to, you know, co- to coach for the day. I'm not even going to get on the bump, you know, <laughs> but, um, well, I, they're great. No, I, well, well, we've told people whether they don't even play a sport, but they want to maintenance their shoulders. You know, you want, look, it's it's sort of like, I think elasticity and stretching is one of the keys to life. I'm a huge yoga fan and I feel like just like you want to keep your body elastic and, Mm -hmm. you know, things moving around in the body well, blood, oxygen, the whole nine yards, it's sort of like, you know, you want your body to have life force. You want your body regenerating, not degenerating. Exactly. So yeah. your shoulders are a pretty important part of your body, not to mention your shoulders have connective areas that the band works on as well, not mm-hmm. just the shoulders. So it would be great for when kids tell us, if we don't like some of the position players who who 
ask, you know, or maybe doing more upper body work in the weight room. It's this is automatic, man. Do mm-hmm. bands before you work out and after, yep. you know, or for sure one or the other, probably mm-hmm. before. And uh, and, and so I, I play tennis three or four times a week. I don't. There's not people out there watching me, so I'm going to sell them a product. I, the idea of me not doing my bands and playing tennis, I, I feel vulnerable. I know it. Yeah. And and I also don't feel. Like you said, you know, going to the gym, you want to be stretched out and heated up before mm-hmm. you work out. And that's, to be honest with you, I think one of the reasons why the J-Bands have sold themselves is because it doesn't take a month or two weeks to figure it out. No. Usually the first time someone does a band, the, the, the whole band workout, if they do it thoroughly, mm-hmm. there is a, I use the term, visceral effect mm-hmm. on the body and the mind and everything. You yeah. can feel it's radically different and whether it just means you're looser you're more relaxed you're more free the ball's going further without trying you feel way better the next day you don't have soreness and it's sort of like you've been throwing a baseball for 10 years and all of a sudden 10 years and a day later you do one new thing Mm -hmm. and the results are that dramatic and that's why i think the bands have been very very popular that way it's it's yeah. they just sell themselves you it's sort of like you do it <laughs> you don't need to you're not selling j-bands to help out Jager sports as much as that kid saying look man number one i want you healthy mm-hmm. number two i want you to start tapping into more range of motion freedom extension strength muscle endurance it's like you want that's what we do we're coaches that's we want right. to help yeah yeah, we got to figure out, you know, we're constantly learning and trying to figure out how to help those kids get better. And uh, yeah, exactly. You, you, like you said, when you said, uh, once you try it and you do it, it's, you don't, you don't need to be sold on it. It it sells itself. It's right there. You you can feel right away a difference and, and you start to think, you know, why haven't I been doing this all along? <laughs> so, well, yeah, it's probably just because you just didn't know. You didn't and, know, and, you know yeah. that. And now you know. The old saying, yeah. What was that? Oh, I was going to say, and then, and you know, and now you know to you know speaking to the kid or, or the person that you're showing. Yeah, yeah. It, it's that actually is part of the fun part of J bands and long, really all the things that we teach. J bands, long mm-hmm. toss, meditation, yoga. I think one of the beauties of teaching those four areas for us is we know that the impact has a chance to be huge, not only in the long term, but even in the short term, because these are areas that are very neglected, yet so because they're neglected, that means they're going to have the biggest upside. Mm-hmm. So someone that hasn't done band work before or even or done it very well, huge upside. Someone that's never long cost before, huge upside. Someone that's never meditated before or done any kind of anything with breathing or visualization, right. huge upside. Right. Anybody that's never really gotten into the stretching and flexibility and balance and stuff that you get out of yoga. Yeah. Huge upside. So I think that's the the cool part about being in 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 different modalities that are now they're not as neglected anymore. Things are changing, but still I think the mental game to me is still uh, it's talked about a lot more, way more than 10, 20 years ago. Sure, yeah. But the practice of meditating, the, pra- the actual practice to me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is where it still needs the most attention. So with all this success, and I don't love using that word all the time, but you know, when I look at it and I look at what you've done from the beginning to now, 27 years later, I mean, you look at it and say, okay, wow, this, we've, we've done a lot. We've We've helped a lot of guys. Can you tell me one thing, or I don't know, a couple things? But what what would you say has been your biggest struggle uh, with the business? Has it been? Well, I'll just leave it at there. I'll let you answer that. What what's been your biggest struggle um, during this whole process? Wow, what a question! Um, I th- three things jump out at me. One, the struggle early on of working. 80 hour weeks, you know, you don't, I'm making the number up, but you don't have weekends off. You don't, you know, it's year round. You're building a business from the ground up, right? Mm -hmm. So, so you live it and breathe it. And and part of that is total beauty. It's, Mm -hmm. you're in it. 
and you're passionate and you and you're fighting for something you believe so strongly and, and then you're seeing these great results so but you're also need to make a living you know you need to survive so i'd say the that that was there was some struggle in that the other that kind of leads to another part of the same struggle which is because you're building a business you're available all the time so as an example um doing mental training you know people could call me at night people could call me in the morning people can call me on the weekends if they needed help they needed help so you lose sight of the boundaries in a way mm-hmm. and so that to me was a huge deal um teaching by trade you use a lot of energy. it's very inspiring but you also use a lot of energy so i feel like uh that all leads to sort of one main topic of struggle i'm talking about which is um managing your energy mm. mm-hmm. and so i feel like the first seven eight years you're just on adrenaline and you're rolling so you're fine but i think at some point it really catches up to you and in my case it did and i went through a pretty serious burnout phase um i can imagine yeah as i think is not unusual with people in the teaching profession so to speak um well teaching and and entrepreneur i mean being the the fact that you're 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 combining two two really difficult things that uh you know require a lot of time and a lot of energy you know you're you're not only are you teaching but you're you're starting a business from the ground up and you're the you know the the main guy doing it (laughs) yeah and that's that's funny i've actually used that exact line saying that it's one thing to just start your business from scratch and make her go for it and all that entails. Um, but then the thought of that your business is speaking and teaching and, um, prom- you know, you know, you constantly have to promote, you have to mm-hmm. get yourself out there and you have to network and connect. But, um, but it's all, it's all rewarding. Mm-hmm. But I think that yeah, that's something, and, and there's no, I don't think there's a way around it because I look back and think, well, if I had better boundaries or I, I didn't work as many hours, I don't, I don't think, I don't think I could have maybe got to, you know, where I needed to get to. And, right. um, now the flip side to it now is my energy is actually good, but I have to be real sensitive to what I do. And so I think the other struggle <laughs> is that yes, I good. feel like, I want to do a lot more, but now maybe I'm paying the price from the beginning okay. or what have you. But now I can't do, you know, things that I used to be able to do. Um, so the bottom line is this. And the other thing I'd say, too, is that when you have your own business, and this is any business, mm-hmm. you know, you're and and I've been lucky. Jim started with me in 2000, so he's been around for 17 years now, and he predominantly for the last I don't even know how long, 10, 12 plus years. You know, he's been running the day-to-day stuff at the office, and then as you know, China's come on board about maybe six years ago. Mm-hmm. So those guys have been you know lifesavers because they really do tons of day-to-day stuff, um, but there still is a, a little sense of, you know, you're aware of what's going on or you're, you know, the, the accountability factor you still feel like is huge. Not that I don't trust them. I mean, I'm totally, they, in fact, they run the day-to-day stuff. So I, that's how I obviously trust them. But sure. you, you, when you start something from scratch, it's like your child. Mm-hmm. In this case, I look at more like five children. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's like I'm, so they're still sort of around, but what I, one thing I've done a lot better job of um, the last couple of years is just really checking out and letting them. Not, not. I'm not subconsciously thinking about it all the time, and I've probably been doing it even longer than that. But anyway, those are like. Yeah. But struggles. Otherwise, I would say, you know, the the whole evolution has just been an incredible ride and exciting and challenging and the, the usual stuff that you go through. So I wouldn't say anything else that really stands out as far as a struggle. I would just say, mm-hmm. um, I'll tell you what a struggle was. It was a struggle the first time I spoke in front of 2,500 people. Okay. Yeah, that would do it. Well, I was going to ask. 2002, uh-huh. I, I spoke at the ABC issue in San Diego and, uh, I had no idea how many people I was speaking in front of until I got there the night before and saw the, um, 
the the, uh, the whatchamacallit, the convention hall. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, whew, that was, uh, that night was a bit of a struggle. <laughs> but, so, you know, it, it went great, and um, I, I'm sure it helped me out a lot as far as speaking in front of, um, you know, I mean, I've never spoken in front of that size group again, but it helped me in general speaking in front of groups. And But, um, but anyway, it's yeah. just off the cuff that was well, that's okay because that actually know. that actually helps me because it, it feeds right into what i was going to ask on the second part of the question it was like when you're speaking in front of 2500 people or, or however many or you're speaking in front of coaches or you're speaking in front of the uh you know player development program or the player development department over with the texas rangers or the kansas city royals or something what about did you have any any pushback or struggles with that convincing people that what you were doing was actually better for their athletes. Um, you know, to, to get a little bit more specific, you know, w w were you running into any walls with, you know, people telling you, hey, you know, this program is, you know, it's bullshit or, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know, w did you run into any of that or has everybody been pretty receptive uh, along the way about, um, you know, what it is, the message that you're trying to, to get across with these with these programs? You know, it's been... I look at like a parallel universe between the long toss and the mental game. Right. Because I know we can They've talk forever on the on the on the pro, the the pros and cons for what you do and what what a lot of other people you know say is the right way, whether it's the one twenty and all that. But go ahead. Yeah. No. The the parallel universe is this. More of the mental stuff when I first started, there was a lot of resistance, mostly just because people didn't know. Mm -hmm. understand the mental game the way it, the way it is but they thought the mental game was because you had a problem as opposed to it's just development sure. um enhancement um and corrective um so i'd say heavy resistance more um with the mental game or yeah that was more of a difficult sell but long toss as well has been not so much at any other level but pro ball Mm -hmm. um, it's been an easy sell for high schools and colleges and travel ball teams and what have you because I think what happened in pro ball is they got um, it, it It seemed to get more medically based because the medical people were getting more involved in the, the 90s especially in the 80s and Mm -hmm. So I feel like there became a little bit, and a lot of conservatism. So I felt like the throwing programs, be, and, and ASMI came out with the study on long toss. And long story short, it just felt like the people in the pro world were more in, in a conservative, restrictive world. So coming with long toss, there was resistance there too. And the cool thing is, is that our first team we worked with was the Rangers in '08. And by the way, side note, I am so passionate and clear about the benefits of long toss because not only did I live it <laughs> forever yeah. but the amount of kids that we have trained or schools that have used our program with consistent predictable major benefits is it's countless mm -hmm. so for me it's not an arrogant thing but I go in there with a knowingness yeah. I've lived it I've I've had the laboratory for many many years, mm -hmm. so I feel like I'm going in there and having to really educate people. Right. I don't feel like they have very much experience compared to us. So yes, we may we may have gotten resistance from pro teams, but it didn't bother you. But going in there, it sort of didn't matter. I mean, mm -hmm. it mattered in, from the sense I wish there wasn't because then we could just go forward. But sure. but no, I we we, we met teams and. The Rangers were all in when they kind of heard our explanation. They loved it. Um, and we've probably met with, um, you know, there's there's probably about eight, eight or so teams that we've met with that have just all in Cleveland, um, Seattle, um, the Cubs. There's just angels. There's just teams out there that, and so fortunately, and I think, you know, what's happened too is there's sort of been a um, – trickle up effect i feel like so many kids are coming out of oregon state and vanderbilt and tcu and you know just go around the country and it's like and these kids are long tossing mm -hmm. so i feel like now it's it's sort of that kill them with numbers mentality so 
to answer your question is that there has been resistance. I, I think with the mental game now, it's become so popular, so acceptable. It's it's pretty universal now that you can talk mental game at any level with anybody, anytime. Mm-hmm. And I think there's going to be a really open forum. Long toss um, was that way to a degree, mostly for me in pro ball and, and us, I'd say, in pro ball. Mm-hmm. But even in pro ball now, it, it's cool. I have two ex-students that are pitching coordinators as an example so that you get the feeling like a lot of kids were training are infiltrating, you know, upper management. Yeah. So to where now, it's, I feel like the culture of long toss, which to me is as organic and natural as it comes, it's what the Dominicans do every day without thinking about it because there's no throwing program over there. Mm -hmm. It's what the Japanese do because they just do a lot of reps with what they do. Mm -hmm. Um my, and those are just two examples, of course, but uh, I'm sure other Latin countries are also mm-hmm. uh, probably in that long toss world. But those are the two that jump out at me. But mm-hmm. Cuba, I believe, has always been, from what I understand, um, and that they seem to put out pretty good baseball players. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm being facetious there. So yeah, exactly. um, long answer, long man. Mm-hmm. I feel like the 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 resistance of long toss is gotten to a point where um, it's still happening at the professional level, but even there, I feel like it's starting to collapse. Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't mean people have to long toss, by the way. It just means that if kids want a long toss, they can. That's the that's the thing I've always yeah. tried to say. This is not yeah, about that's a good point. Yeah. you have to long toss, but why would a team take a kid for three years from Vanderbilt or UCLA or Texas or wherever, TCU, and say, okay, we know you've been long tossing for three years. Oh, by the way, three years in high school, too. That's six. Oh, you started with your dad when you were eight years old long tossing? Okay, so now we're at 10. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we have this program that our doctors all say is the best thing for you. And, oh, by the way, everybody does it. Six six right-handers and five ten setup guy, you know, uh, mm-hmm. specialists, starters and relievers. We're all and and we're going to count how many throws you make, or we're going to count the distance or the time. But you're basically not going over 120 feet. Hmm. Makes no sense to me no. because you can roll out of bed with a guy that throws 90 miles an hour, and he's going to throw it approximately 300 feet with some air underneath it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, man, that's that's good, that's good stuff. Um, it's good. Yeah. Okay. So moving on to, uh, let's see, I just got like maybe one more, maybe two more questions here, and I'll, I'll I'll let you get going. I like to always ask this one too because if you didn't have Jager Sports, if you didn't have baseball being such a you know predominant part of your life from the time you were growing up and and playing through your playing career, your coaching career, and all that. What do you think Alan Jager would be would be into? What would be what would you be doing right now? I really don't know because it's too hard for me to picture it without comprehend. Yeah. You know? Um my my gut feeling is I would have ended up teaching I thought you at some say level. That. I, <laughs> I was gonna write that I was actually writing that down. I was like, he's gonna say teacher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I might have look, it might have been I, I think I would have gravitated toward high school or college. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just, I really don't know because it's, you know, I love the arts. I love music. I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. saying I would have done anything in music for sure, but mm-hmm. if I ended up somewhere in the music field, um, that would be totally understandable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, and the the things that you incorporate into your business with the yoga and the meditation and the mental training and all that stuff i mean obviously take baseball out of it seems to me like you could incorporate that into anything else you do in life i mean it, it's it's part of you you know um yeah so you know if you were to you know go back to school and and say get a phd in psychology and become a professor or 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 like you said maybe teach at a high school I have a feeling that you especially would still be getting up and doing your yoga and, and doing your meditation and, and uh, you know, those things that you're, 
that you made a made a business out of, made a career out of. Um, so it wouldn't be too far off. Yeah, I think what I probably had I gone through the same path through Cal State Northridge and and where I went through what I went through and had to dig deep and really delve into the the world of meditation and what have you. I think the path of meditation would have eventually brought me, if I didn't specialize in, in sports or baseball per mm-hmm. se, I think you're right. I think what it would have done is it would have manifested in life and it would have been, I would have probably wanted to teach meditation, mm-hmm. teach, med- you know, maybe meditation retreats, um, probably life that. coaching yeah. to a degree. It would probably would have manifested into right. consulting um you know, any walk of life, if you will. Yeah. No, I could totally see you doing that with, with just your your presence, your demeanor, your your tone. Everything is very soothing, and, and I've always thought that about you since the first time we met and, and started having conversations in Stanley's restaurant there. Um, <laughs> it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me one bit if you called me up one day and said, Hey, Nick, sold the business, you know, or whatever. Jim's taken over, China's taken over, and uh, I'm going to become a, a yogi, you know? <laughs> so right, right. It, it wouldn't shock me one bit, you know? <laughs> right. But uh, that's well, awesome. That's great. Yeah, man. by the way, soothing voice, I, I always I appreciate that comment. Uh, I've had a few other people mm-hmm. over the years say that, which is neat. And it's funny because soothing voice and Stanley's don't go together because we both know how loud it gets in <laughs> Stanley's. That's right. That's right. But yeah. I'm glad if you, if I could if if I could somehow show you a soothing voice in a restaurant that loud. Yeah. Um, that's that's a good that's a good compliment. So it thank is. you. Absolutely. Well deserved for sure. <laughs> So, well, man, I've, we've been, uh, we're, we're coming up on an hour here. Um, and I'm just, I'm loving, I could talk to you, you know, for another hour easily. Um, but I feel like, you know, now's the time we could wrap it up. And if, if you wanted to maybe just give one piece of advice out to a listener there, that's, uh, maybe thinking, you know, I'm really tired of my, my, my corporate cubicle job, or maybe it's, maybe there's a young guy out there working at TGI Fridays right now. I don't know. Um, that's, (laughs) that's thinking, you know, I love this game. I've always wanted to be involved in it. You know, my playing days are over. Um, you know, maybe I got a great idea for a a hitting tool or a pitching tool or, or anything like that. I mean, from an entrepreneur standpoint and from a businessman standpoint, can you give one little piece of advice out there for anyone that's even considering or thinking about doing, um, you know, something like this full time? I sure can. Yeah. Um, this came up, I did this, uh, I'll share it briefly, but I, I was asked to do, it was so fun. Um, an entrepreneur workshop, mm-hmm. basically f- through somebody on Facebook and the, these, these, this group of entrepreneurs that are in sports get together like once a month and they have guests people come on. So I was on once and, and I, I really enjoyed this part of the talk because, you know, it, it pulls at my core. The, the, I should say it jumps out of my core. Mm-hmm. You know, the things that if an entrepreneur came up to me and wanted, you know, wanted to, wanted advice, it jumps out at me. And, uh, number one is sacrifice and discipline. You know, mm. if you don't have the determination and the perseverance and the passion to do this, but you have to have, I mean, you have to have, make, be willing to make sacrifices and have a discipline. And that was sort of my main theme with them that, look, if you're at Fridays right now working and you don't have that many hours to, because you have to pay your bills, you don't have that many hours to maybe go out there and do too much in, in the, you know, meet people or whatever, you, you have to find a way. Mm-hmm. It, it, look, if it matters enough, if it's something that you truly love and you want to pursue, it's like you, you have to be different. You have mm-hmm. to do more than the next person is willing to do, and you have to be the one that's out there meeting people. I mean, you could be an intern at the local high school and just be there and teach throwing or hitting or mental game, and mm-hmm. you might think, I'm making no money. Um, I'm at a division whatever high school. Mm-hmm. Um and how is this helping my career out? But if you're out there knowing, like, hey, I want the kids to get better, I want this team to get better, I want the coach and staff and parents to see the value of this, well, all of a sudden, that head coach gets 
the assistant coaching job at LSU one day, and mm. boom, they want you to come to LSU. I'm just making it up. So sure. the, my point is, is that you network. You well, you dig under the rocks. Yeah, you go any and everywhere you can to meet people to show them what you have to offer, show them your passion, show them what you think, what value you think you have. Um, but man, you have to be proactive and you have to have the discipline to, to get, to go after it. And I know, I know some of these statements sound pretty, um, mainstream, but there's teeth behind it. You know, one of the things I think that made a huge difference in my path is that from very, very early age, man, I was I lived the long toss, and boy, did I live the mental training and experience. And mm-hmm. uh, I went to the the depths of some you know pretty dark place, and I had to work very, very hard through that. So for me, I was so passionate and determined to share this because of what I went through, and I want other people to have an opportunity. So I, I, I was just it was like gangbusters, man. It's like again, look under every rock. Make the sacrifices. Go, even if you have to volunteer, even if you have to take out a loan, you know, get yourself in situations where you can assist people, you can help people, um, you can work with people for free, Mm -hmm. but just build a clientele Mm because they're going to, if, look, if they have success with you, they're going to tell other friends. Yeah. So that was sort of be my, my ending sermon Mm -hmm. is take that to heart. I mean, because look, it, it, like you said, neither we were both not drafted. Mm-hmm. Um, I played at a Division two college. It happened to be a, a very good program, but I was at a Division two school. Um, didn't play past my junior year. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, but what I did is I went out there and I banged on the doors and I was persistent. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of passion. And I had a lot of belief in what I was doing. And and that's it, man. If you're willing to go out there and, and go the extra mile and, and, and like I said, look under the rocks, do the little things. Yeah. Um, that's great you'd be stuff. shocked yep. at how far you could go in any walk of life. That's right. That's right for sure. Uh, Jager Sports has a brand new website. I want to congratulate you on that. Just looked at it this afternoon. Um, was Thank you. Yes, yes. we're was, two, 48 hours. We're up and running. That's right. Uh, J-A-E-G-E-R Sports, all spelled out, jagersports.com for those of you that want to check out uh, the new site and uh, read uh, you know a little bit more information on the programs and maybe buy a set of J-Bands and get into it. It's all right there, and the thing looks phenomenal. I was talking to, uh, you know, China turned me on to Zach Cole, who's been mm-hmm. help, helping me with this uh podcast that we're doing right now and so great yeah so i sent him some some stuff to edit uh yesterday or the day before and he said man sorry i didn't get back to you i've been working on the new launch of the website and that's how i knew you guys were getting a new one so i i was just kind of waiting with bated breath there to uh to check it out and i saw it today and man it looks phenomenal great he did a great job there and you guys did a great job you know putting it together so everybody that's listening here um uh, I want to thank you, first of all, for, for listening here to uh, interview with Alan Jager. And if you get a chance, check that out. Check out his um, uh, book as well on there. In fact, I have not read it myself, I'm embarrassed to say, but I will definitely be getting a copy of that and, and reading through it because I, <laughs> I, I should have done that years ago. Um, but anyway, man, dude, thank you so much for taking the time, Alan. I'm really, I mean that when I say that, cause I know you're, you're a tremendously busy guy and you got a lot going on and I'm just really happy that we were able to connect and hopefully we can do this again down the road. Um, maybe get into some of those other topics that we didn't have a chance to today. Maybe get a little bit more into the mental side. I'd really like to, to do that. So, um, anything else uh, you want to add to it? You want to plug anything else? You got a, another way to, to get a hold of you other than the site? You got a Facebook page? Yeah, just uh, Twitter is at Jager Sports, Instagram at Jager Sports. And also, uh, along with the mental book, we launched um, a year-round throwing manual uh, not too long ago. Excellent. And that's – I love the manual. It yeah. um, takes you through the entire year. And so that's just another – 
really nice product we have. We have a throwing manual also for softball. And uh, no, they can. We have tons and tons of free information online on YouTube and on mm. our website. There's a lot of articles that are all free. So that's awesome. If you're willing that's to look good. under some rocks and do a little perusing, that's great. Um, I'm going to use that, man. I like that looking under the rocks thing. So yeah. <laughs> so any of you guys out there that are thinking, or girls, you know, thinking about getting into. Uh, a career in baseball, you know, whether it's pitching coach or scouting or front office, or like I said, maybe you have a, a product that you think is going to help, uh, you know, evolve the game. Uh, get off your ass and get out there and do it. Start looking under rocks and believe in it and uh, make some relationships. And uh, you'd be surprised how, how building up those relationships will come back to uh, to benefit you, uh, you know, down the road. For sure they have for me, and I know they have for you, Alan. Um Thank you very much for your time, buddy. Yeah, my pleasure, man. I, again, thanks for having me on. It's uh, It's been a treat. I've enjoyed it, and uh, uh, I'll look forward to chatting with you soon. You got it, my man. I will talk to you very soon. You have a great night, okay? Yep, you too, buddy. All right, see ya. Hey there, Nick Holmes again. Just wanted to say thank you very much for listening to Love the Game, Live the Dream, brought to you by World Baseball Experience. And if you get a second, please head over to worldbaseballexperience.com and put your email address in there. Subscribe to our free newsletter. It's not really a newsletter. It's just me collecting your email address so that I can send you uh, updates and new podcast information, maybe some photos and things like that. But don't worry, I don't have the time to spam anybody. So I promise that uh, I'll only be sending you quality information. (laughs) Well, maybe not so much quality, but entertaining nonetheless. If you enjoyed today's episode, please pass it on to all of your Seamhead friends out there, your baseball enthusiasts. If you didn't like this episode, then you're probably not still listening. So I appreciate your time, and once again, this is Nick Holmes signing off. We'll see you next time on Love the Game, Live the Dream. Take care.